Welcome, Legionaries, to Legion Cast episode 39. We're here with the Hobby Roundtable. As usual, I am your host, Warwick, and joining me is my co host, Brandon. Welcome, Legion brothers, Legion sisters, and often forgotten, but never by me. Those of you who have more start side projects than your main project, welcome to Legion Cast. Great to be here. And as usual, the other two, Maniple. Greetings, Longbeards. Thanks for having me on again. Remember that every defeat is a victory in hiding. And our buddy Paul. Back for another round. Should be another good one. Very cool. So let's go around the horn real quick and talk about what we've been working on. I myself have the amazing Witch King of Agmar sitting on my hobby desk. He is part of the painting league thing that I'm doing with Brandon. And I, he himself will be very easy to paint. It's just black and a little bit of metal work. The basing challenge of it is to use a water effect, which I have never done. And then I also need to figure out the weathering for it because I've not done a lot of weathering. But I'm looking forward to that challenge. He's all ready to paint. I'll start that. Um, I'll probably do a little editing on this podcast on Monday and do a little bit of painting when I'm done with that. So, Brandon, what have you been working on? Well, I've been uh, just kind of like taking it easy a bit uh, on the painting side of things. And uh, I have decided to start working on my Emperor's Children Legion Champion with a jump pack. So that's coming along nicely. I got the purple done and a bit of the black. So it's really just gold that needs to be done, uh, which is a lot of it. And then detail work which as you guys can see from this model is a lot of it but it's a beautiful model and i'm i'm enjoying working on it i'm really enjoying just taking my time kind of relaxing doing 20 minutes and then going you know moving on to something else maniple what about you work continues on my new game room downstairs we got the walls uh the the paint retouched and then we got a company coming in to do new carpet down there and the next step will be moving in some furniture and hopefully i can get some i haven't decided if i'm going to have built-in bookshelves or just buy bookshelves that can be moved uh, that'll be the next step and get my big table down there so we have a nice place for games when uh, i had an absolute bear of a time finding a bookshelf that i liked so i almost want to recommend doing the built-in bookshelves because even this big one behind me it was really expensive, but it's built very cheaply. So if if you can get like a good built-in set done up, I recommend that because you're going to pay way too much for a bookshelf that's kind of a piece of junk if you if you get stand-up ones. Yeah, and I've looked at bookshelves that, that would match some of the ones I have already, and they're six or seven hundred dollars. And I'm looking at probably getting four or five at least because I have a lot of hobby books, and even then, I don't think it would be enough. So I think getting a carpenter in just to do the shelves would probably be cheaper in the end. But as, as far as painting and uh, putting models together, still working on some uh, more headhunters. The weather's been nice, so I could prime. It just hasn't quite been warm enough. But I'll have a bunch of stuff assembled uh, when the weather does get better. Uh, Paul, what about you? Yeah, I haven't been working on too much lately. Uh, been pretty busy with work. I do have my weekend just started, so I'll probably be Trying to make some progress on the Sons of Horus. We'll see what we can chip off in the next few days. Very cool. Be sure to send me a bunch of pictures of your progress, guys, so I can forget to post them on social media. Well, now that that's covered, 
We are going to talk about a battle report that Manipal and I had. We had planned last weekend to plan for a long trip down to Texas, but that got uh, postponed on us. We'll have to do that maybe later on this summer. But Manipal and I had a big kind of gaming hangout and kind of hobby hunting session here in my area in Des Moines. We've got several big hobby shops and places that are fun to hit for, you know, looking for comic books, other you know, nerd stuff. I bought some models. I bought a cool art book. The the fantasy, was it like the fan, uh, fantasy art? Uh, anyway, I found yeah, a cool book. It, it's a it's a Titian book. And Titian does yeah. a lot of these really nice high end art books. Uh, they, they've got one for Frazetta that was on sale the other day, but it was still a hundred bucks. I yeah, think yours was the smaller version, so it was. Yeah, it was and I think I but. paid. 50 or 60 for it. And it, the, the artwork in it's amazing. They talk about what went into development. It's got Frazetta and, you know, all the classics in there from like the seventies and eighties. So I'm, I, I really like it. Yeah. And the, the hobby shops you went to did have, I would say a fair amount of Horace heresy stuff. Um, I wasn't in the market for buying anything cause I've got a lot to yet to assemble. Uh, you were looking for another Leviathan, but they didn't have that. Right. Well, they had the ranged variants, but I want the melee variants because my Night Lord Leviathans are both going to be melee monsters, just uh, just for the meme factor of it. I may and, end up magnetizing one, but I need the base melee kit anyway. And we did see a fair number of uh, stuff for the new Warhammer Fantasy Battles that's coming out. What yeah. did you say that the rulebook was, though, for that? The the rulebook is about 80 bucks, I think. Uh, and that's that's steep. That's more expensive than the Heresy Black books. And then the starter boxes for Fantasy are like, what are they? Two thirty? They are two fifty five. Yeah, so that's steep. And I happened to pick up a box of the Pegasus Riders for Bretonia, and they're the exact same models from all those years ago. I really thought they'd have an upgrade kit or something in them, but they look yeah, exactly th- the same. That's something that they really tried to slip under the wire that I've noticed a lot of people have caught. So the Bretonia box, you get the brand new Lord sculpt and you get the new Knight sculpt. But the men-at-arms, the peasant bowmen, and a lot of the other kits that they're selling on the side are the exact same sculpts from 30 years ago. And they're charging like the new GW prices for them. The Tomb Kings are the same way. They're not quite as bad because those kits are only about a decade old. But even so, it's just, it's not what people were expecting, I think. Yeah, and as I recall, a lot of those Bretonia kits were ones that the, the players have been waiting for for years. They finally got, so they are some of the newer plastics, but, but still, you had to put that in context. Those came out a long time ago. So, yeah, I was hoping for for something a little a little fresher take on it. And I, I did see, like, the square bases. But I really thought they were going to develop a new kind of base, something with like more slightly rounded edges or something that was interlocking or, you know, something unique and cool. But they were the exact same old square yeah, bases. That's something that kind of chapped my ass about the whole thing was that they the bases are the exact same and they're selling the 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 block formation like um, the trays that you can put your troops on and they're charging like 40 bucks for them. So I, you're going to have a, a much better time making your own out of plastic card. Yeah, uh, but even back in the day, that was the case. You never bought the official GW movement trays. They always cost too much. 
And yeah, I mean, fair as enough. for the changing the bases, uh, the reason they didn't do that is so that everyone who kept their fantasy armies can still use them without having to swap over. It's just simpler that way. Well, you mean just like when they moved all the Space Marines to 35 millimeter or 32 millimeter? <laughs> yeah, basically. Oh, they just said, yeah, you can still use them. Because I remember that was the weird thing with um, with Sigmar. With 1.0, they had all these rules of like, yeah, you can just keep using square bases. And here's how you can measure things that are on the wrong size base. And that's fine. It's the same sort of thing. They're just trying to do a holdover transition. So I'll keep an eye on it, but I haven't really seen anything that would say I'd rather have this than just going back to my old 8th or 7th edition books, which I still have. I'm sure for the level of gameplay that I'm capable of, I'd have just as much fun doing that. So I'll keep an I eye think, on it, though. I think I'm probably going to end up picking up the core rulebook just because I'm kind of collector. Uh, and I, I like the, I just like the books. I'm kind of a slut for that kind of thing. But I think Bretonia and Tomb Kings are cool and all. They don't really trip my trigger. And I've already got Beastmen. So if they come out with, you know, another another cool fantasy army, like if they do a big dwarf box, I'm probably going to be in on that. But, you know, I'm not in a hurry for it. So I think we've already talked about that in a previous episode. But, yeah. Yeah. We didn't really talk about the factions that were coming out, though. Because I know they're not doing a full release. A lot of factions like Vampire Counts and stuff are not getting rules. They're getting the legacy pages. Well, and then uh, here's another little criticism that I have. And maybe they did it to stand out, but I don't really care for the new box colors. They're kind of like a, a periwinkle blue and yellow. The old boxes were that like deep red and bronze and uh, brassy colors and that sort of thing. These, I, I looked at them, they certainly stood out, stood out on the shelf. But I was not a fan of the new the new color design on the boxes. Well, I think a lot of the Age of Sigmar color palettes are like red and gold right now. So that's probably why they wanted something to offset, like really distinguish the difference between you know these two games. So we spent a few days uh, going around, found some nice places to eat. But then um, I, I did want to play a game of 30K. I had developed a new army list. And so we went to one of the local shops, found a table. It was pretty quiet. Was it like a Monday? Yeah, it was Monday afternoon. It was the last day you were here. And it, it was the last day you were here. And the kicker is we spent so much time shopping around, drinking and feasting. We only had time for one game. Yeah, it just it just didn't work out. And, and we did go to some of the shops on the weekend, but they were busy with like all the Yu-Gi-Oh stuff and other card things. So I don't know if we could have got a table or had a good time with all that going on. Yeah, but I I was happy with the game that we got in, of course, because I won, not because, you know, for any other reason, not because we got to play. But uh, I, I thought we had fun. Um, do you want to do you want to lead off with the battle report on that? So we it, it was a fairly straightforward game. We got long table edges and it was the uh, breakthrough mission where we had to try to get into the opponent's deployment zone and when i built this army list my my chief design factor was just not taking my fire raptor and seeing what else i could do with it so that allowed me to take uh, a fair amount of heavy armor which i was looking forward to using and i did have some new headhunters that i put together and so i had a much bigger squad of headhunters that i wanted to use i learned my lesson of not uh deploying exodus and this and his seekers you know 
12 inches away from Eric's battle line. So they get shot in the first round. But despite that, they still got shot in the first round. So I had kind of, because I, Eric, you let me deploy uh, first. So I was going to have first turn, right? Unless you seized initiative. And so I'd kind of deployed my army a little bit conservatively, but hoping I was going to get that alpha strike with a lot of shots lined up on your stuff. And it looked pretty good. And I said, okay, so I'm ready to go as long as you don't roll a six. And what did you do? I rolled that six, boy. Rolled that six, just as easy as pie. Luckily, the Alpha Legion has the ability to redeploy three of their units. So I was able to move one of my rhinos that was heavily exposed over to the far side. and was going to use that to, as my main breakthrough unit to get to the other end of the map. Then I pulled my uh, Spartan somewhat more in cover. And then I kind of shifted another model so it didn't have quite as much exposure on the other side. Uh, as soon as Warwick opened fire, though, give a tell. What, what was your your big bruiser? The I had, uh, yeah, the, I took the Cerberus in that game because it's just a lot of fun. I haven't really got to use it yet. Uh, and I knew that you were running a couple of rhinos and your land raider. And I was like, well, I need something to deal with the land raider Spartan. And it was able to detonate or was able to explode that land raider on turn one. Yeah. Yeah. It was. And so I failed my cover save. You rolled a high pen roll and a, was it a six? Then you get to add to that because it's. A, yeah. It's, a, it's AP one. So you're adding two. So first shot took out the, the, the Spartan. I had my uh, learnings inside. And of course they had to dismount. I think one was killed. The Spartan was gone. And then you moved over. I, I had Exodus with his uh, Seeker squad in cover on top of a building, ready to take some nice sniper shots. You shot them with the Volkites. Yep, I was running the heavy support squad with the Volkite Culverins. Ten of them. Yep. And even with the uh, Shroud Bombs and the uh, uh, and the Alpha Legion Special Rule, they, they were still well within range. And then this is where on with your because your Alpha Legion lets you take war gear that lets you see during night fighting, right? Yeah. So during night fighting, I wouldn't have been able to line up either one of those shots because there's a minimum range of 24 inches. And both those units that I shot were more than 24 inches away. So in in night fighting, if we'd had night fighting going, I wouldn't have been able to see him at all. Yeah. So I wasn't prepared for the range on those, on those things. I guess in my mind, in my back of my mind, I knew that they had long range, but isn't it, is it 48? Which is, I think it's, I think it's 50 for the Volkites. And I think it's um, like 72 for the, for the server. So I'll have to double check on that, but it's, it's very long range. Yeah. Which is annoying because some of the stuff, other stuff I was running, I thought, Oh, this should have, longer range than that. Like I'm looking at the, um, so like my Kratos battle cannon, it's HE and AP shells are only 36 inches and the flash burn shell is only 24. So you think here's this big artillery cannon that should be able to see, shoot everything on the board, but it's, you know, running you know, quite a bit less than those. Yeah. Those are, that's, that's something that I struggled with at the Kratos in the beginning too. You think that it's going to be like a sit in the back and, shoot stuff from the other end of the board. No, it's an assault tank. It needs to be out in the front, which is a gamble because it's, it's a lot of points and a Leviathan dreadnought is going to absolutely body it. If it gets close enough. So then, so th- those guys wiped out Exodus and the seeker squad. And then you also managed to take out, um, 
gosh, I, I wrote it down here. That was the the tank exodus, and there was something else. Um, I I had a twenty man unit of Nemesis destroyers that shot one of your dreadnoughts with their rad missile launchers, and oh, yeah. it scattered into a unit behind one of the dreadnoughts. And it did enough wounds to that dreadnought or to that unit of tactical marines, I think, that it caused them to flee. Right. So when I did the math on that, it was well, that's one. in one round of shooting, you took out 895 points of my army in the first round. And after that, so now I'm, I'm down by a third because we were playing 3,000 points. I'm now looking at the field thing and what do I have left? And so what, what I started doing was kind of monitoring how my, my dice were doing because then once that first round of shooting is over, I'm like, well, I've got to try to put some hurt on somewhere. The, of all things, I think the most effective unit was actually my dreadnought with the twin linked culverins. And they were doing a fairly good job on some of the infantry, but not, not good enough. I did get the Kratos to have a few shots where I was trying to do as much damage as I could to your, uh, to your big boy the Cerberus, but I kept rolling ones in those AP rolls. And even with a, like a plus two, I'm still getting crew shaken, which you ignore. Right. Right. Cause yeah, you were rolling one, you rolled ones like two times in a row with that. Yeah. And then I think that first, uh, the first time you shot it, you were getting the flare shield. The second time you shot it, you actually got side armor and then you just had a bad roll on that. And that was kind of the course of the game. So, I, uh, losing the, the the Spartan and the Kratos, even with the I was, was using the flash burn shells, was still not able to, to crack anything. I did get my headhunters in around the side, and I tangled with your dudes with the rad missiles. And what what are they? What were those missiles called? The or what that unit? So those are Nemesis destroyers. They're the Ultramarine Legion specific destroyers. So and, and what they, happened? And, yeah, yeah. What happened there was that I opened up fire on them with the unit that was that was going to move up the board. The you did a reaction shot and wiped them. So with the the rad weapons being AP three, I had no armor save. My guys are out in the open. No, they're this time. they're AP two and they they're flesh bane, so they wound on twos. Uh, okay. They're really nasty. So I had no no cover on that. I did have my. Terminators in a building because they had to debark from the Spartan when it blew up. And they did a little bit of work because I had the Graviton gun or the Graviton cannon in there. And that killed a couple of guys, but it wasn't, it wasn't that great. Uh, and I did, I did get my guys in cause you were having a hard time getting rid of the Kratos, but my, let's see, I had a Moritat, the Moritat and his, his guys were able to get up in the middle of the the field and, take out a few Marines. I think you weren't running any apothecaries, right? No, I didn't take any apothecaries. Yeah. Uh, so that was like the best I had of, of, you know, killing your regular Marines with the, with the apothecaries gone, but still they, they then got, got wiped out. Um, I did make it to round four, which is the, so that makes it the best game I've had so far. And even at that time, I think the points were actually pretty close because we were just doing the, points you were going to get from getting into the opponent's deployment zone. Right. So what, how it all ended up shaking out was I had, uh, let's see two, no, 
I had Breachers and a Dreadnought in the scoring area. And then I also got Slay the Warlord on you because I killed your Praetor. Mm -hmm. And then you had a Tactical Squad and a Dreadnought in my scoring area. So I, I think I only beat you by like one point, And then we would have had to total, uh, figure out what we got for uh, points killing each other's troops. Uh, or units, which I, I would have come out ahead on there. Well, by the end, I had a Dreadnought and three Marines left. That was my, everything else had been wiped off. And the problem there was that we ended at the bottom of four, but we had rolled to get turn five. So you were ready to move the rest of your army into the deployment zone. Yeah, if I played, was. If we played, actually played the round out. Yeah, I was not far away from moving more into the, uh, into the scoring zone. But I think that's a fun mission. And having the long board edge makes it really tricky because your army is is basically spread out along the whole long board edge and you've got to you've really got to be careful with what units you're engaging and how you're trying to break through on that one but i i don't know that going on short edges would have helped me because uh you are outranging me with so much of your stuff uh, that i didn't have the the ability to do the 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 closer i couldn't get close enough and my shooting wasn't effective enough especially after losing um so many guys in that for in that alpha strike. So um, back to over to like to Ridge and Paul here, like how do you deal with that, that threat of the alpha strike of you getting wiped in the first turn? Uh, I usually stand behind buildings. That's a problem it's, with the, it's a problem with something as big as a Spartan though, is you can't, you can't block all line of sight to it. Your buildings need to get bigger. Yeah. Having a lot of terrain really helps. I, this is something me and Brandon have definitely struggled with. Um, I know for a fact that I completely opted out of running nights because I bought the first one and Brandon melted it off the table, top of turn one, six games in a row. And I was like, all right, I'm not buying nights anymore. This is ridiculous. And we talked about it later and it really was, we were looking at the table and it's like, there's no cover. There's barely any terrain because we just didn't have any. And so all of our games ended up being just whoever went first alpha strike the other off because there was no cover like it makes a big difference when you don't even really think about it the uh the other thing that i think is really important is look at your opponent's army look at what they have and if they're outranging you just call night fighting because it goes off if one of you wants it it happens on a two and even if you don't have the augury scanners and the equipment to get past that 24-inch range, your opponent doesn't either, ideally. So you're protected. Um, last thing I do is just be really deliberate with where you point your flare shield as well. Like, I know opponent, I think... Uh, Warwick and Paul, you both have seen me sit there and I will sit there with my flare shield and I will to you be like, okay, can you get side armor from this angle and make you check? And then if you're like, no, okay, this is where I'm going to be then. The other uh, big part of it for me as well is just accept the fact that you're going to lose some stuff. So just try and make it stuff that's not going to not going to affect you as much in the long haul. Yeah, I don't want to complain a lot about the dice, but do you think the mechanic of seizing initiative kind of renders some of that moot? Because if, if you think you're going to be going first, you're going to set up a certain way. 
And as soon as you lose initiative, that throws your whole battle line out of order completely. So do you always set up thinking you're going to lose initiative or do you set up hoping that you, you do have, because you've got a, you know, a four and a five and six chance of chance of having those nice site profiles. So do you always set up behind a building no matter what? You, or do you try to set up for the maximum fire? Well, you should fire? know before you deploy who's supposed to go first. Yeah, in that case, it was supposed to be me, but then he seized initiative. So then he got to go first. Yeah, I mean, I got to be honest with you. I don't play. If I if I think I'm going first, I'll usually put my stuff out there. And yeah, I've definitely been bit by it before. I guess it's it's a risk-reward thing of... Do you, do you think... Do you really think that you're going to be able to do enough damage that on your first turn that potentially exposing all your stuff is uh, is worth that 16% chance that you're actually not going first? After that game, I'd say no. It was not worth it. <laughs> yeah, and it, I think it's very much matchup and army dependent. Yeah, and it comes down to knowing your army as well, because knowing your army and then having an idea of what your opponent is doing as well. Like, yeah, Paul and I have had a lot of games where I've deployed very aggressively when I thought I was going first, because I just knew if his dreadnoughts got a turn to do anything, they were just going to open me up anyway. So let me just get up in there and get at them. So, yeah, I I guess there's no real right or wrong answer. It's kind of an in-the-moment decision, knowing that it could go bad on you. And that's just, it's a dice game, man. Trust me, I have a lot of dice games go bad on me. It's something I'm very experienced with. So I feel your pain. Well, and I think um, Warwick's Leviathan did a lot of work. And I just want to reiterate just how good that model is. That uh, it's got a, it's got mobility. It's got a pretty solid weapon. It's good in close combat. Hard to kill. Uh, those Leviathans seem to be worth every penny. Do you, has that been your experience, Warwick? Every yeah, game? absolutely. Usually get popped? Leviathan and Dreadnought is worth its weight in freaking gold. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I have no regrets. Anytime I run that model, even if it gets taken off the board, it is such a threat factor that the opponent has to focus so much stuff on it. It buys time for my other units to find something to do. And the, the Cyclonic Melta Lance is worth every point. There is never a reason not to take one unless you're a total psycho like Night Lords and want to get in there with double melee, which I've been hit by when I was at the Phyrex event. I got hit by a double melee Dreadnought and he absolutely murdered me. So that's worth it too. It, just the fact that their base melee weapons come with a Melta Gun in the fist is so good. And then the, the Phosphex launcher is so much fun. Our buddy Martin calls that the war crimes, and I absolutely love it. They're so much fun to use. That Phosphex launcher has legitimately won me games because I've overwatched with it and just dropped dangerous terrain right in front of my opponent's charge. And then it's just like, congratulations, your charge is now disordered. Yeah, that is super handy. I would say every list you build, you should be thinking about how do I kill Dreadnoughts. Even if your opponent's only bringing three, like we usually tend to do the one per thousand points, which is kind of our build philosophy. Even then, you need to be asking yourself, how do I kill three Dreadnoughts? And it's doable. They're very good, but they are also very killable. Oh, I know the other thing I had in there, because I, I did have that in mind, was how I was going to deal with 
heavy armor. I did bring a five-man last cannon heavy support squad, thinking that I've got enough last cannons in the army between my tanks and the the support squad that I'd have enough of them left over. But I think you wiped them in the first round too. So I can't remember what I, I shot one, them I had with. One left, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what I shot them with, but it 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 got four out of five. Right. Yeah. So and and that was even, that was that was filling their their cover save because I I know it was something big that you hit them with and uh, I thought well here we go again. So yeah, that was that was that was tough. So I think yeah. that does bring actually my first round loss up to a thousand. Now that I remember those guys. I think uh, one thing that I'm really excited to kind of try out and see see how this works is uh, as far as a fire support platform is the Derideo Dreadnought with the Hellfire Hellfire Plasma Carronade. I think that that is going to be pretty good. Uh, it's particularly at killing Dreadnoughts. I'm building two of those. I'm going to build a uh, two Dreadnought Talon for my heavy support slot, my terror assault list. In one of my terror assault lists, I should say. So two of those Derideos with the uh, the Night Lord's Night Vision Prey Sight uh, should be a lot of fun. Yeah, and you know I've been looking at it because my Emperor's Children. I've really soured on the ten man Last Cannon squad because everybody just kills them turn one. So uh, something that's a little bit tougher but still packs a lot of punch, I think, is the way. To yeah, go. those those heavy support squads are really hit and miss because while they are incredibly deadly, they're not super survivable, you know, because they're just in power armor. Uh, you could put an apothecary with them, but that's not going to save them from any heavy ordinance that's going to be hitting them on first turn. Cause anything that has that kind of range range generally has, uh, is going to be doubling your toughness, like a lot of missiles or las cannons, stuff like that. Yeah. And again, that's where it might be worth it for you to call for night fighting. Because uh, you almost always throw an augury scanner on those guys anyway. Yeah, and I thought about it. For, as far as like the order goes, do you declare night fighting and then roll to seize initiative? Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's why I didn't call for it, because it was going to hurt me more than it was going to hurt him if I had first turn. So that's why I, did, I didn't call for it. But I think in the, in the future, because I've got... And the only guy who ignores it really is Exodus. So I don't know if you want to build your whole night fighting strategy around him when you're when then you're saying... Okay, now my Kratos can't shoot. Well, remember with your Alpha Legion, for night fighting, he actually has to be within 18 of you, where you only have to be within 24 of him. Um, Alpha Legion is only two inches, though. Oh, is it two inches? Okay, it's yeah. that, I'm thinking of the Shroud Bombs. If you have Shroud Bombs, it adds six more. So mm-hmm. Exodus, Exodus would be immune anyway. That's what I was thinking. Well, you can't see him anyway because of the range, but... Yeah. yeah, I am curious, uh, Manipal. What tr- what uh, are you using the traitor units, like the agents or whatever? Um, I I have in mind to use them. I don't have any painted up though. Yeah, I think I you think talked that... about using those uh, the thousand suns, the uh, last cannon guys, the sun fury guys. Oh, the Emperor's Children, the Sun Emperor's Children, yeah, that's what I meant. Um, yeah, I know that's a popular one. Um, I think the Iron Warriors Special Terminators are also very popular. That's kind of a, a benefit that you have going for you is that if you are looking at your toolbox and you s- decide that you don't have what you need to beat Warwick, just go raid someone else's toolbox because you're allowed to do that. Yeah, fair enough. So, Manipal, when I got you for the... Um... 
the Christmas gift exchange, instead of doing the assault destroyers, I almost did you a five-man squad of Scissorane. Because you can take those with your spoils of treachery, right? Yeah, it's it's yeah. any specialist unit that's not unique. That would be really funny. All right, so overall, I mean, it was it's always fun playing 30k. It, it's the you can get frustrated by the dice, but the the better the more you play, the luckier you get. So I yeah. think you need to just play more games. So that's definitely something I was thinking about. Is that uh, I really need to make an effort to get over to your place more often so that we can play more. Because what's been happening to us is that we'll play like every other month and we'll get basically get skills fade between there. We won't be in tune with the rules as much. And then we'll be getting frustrated that the dice aren't going our way. So we, we I just need to make an effort that, for us to hang out more. And I think it would be a lot better for us. All right. Well, thanks for the advice. Uh, appreciate it. Good time. We'll do it again. You guys want to talk about the uh, the new model? Yeah. So it's the Siege Breaker console upgrade. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty good looking model. I like the design. Uh, we kind of talked about how it's this like modified version of Mark VI, but it has like some Mark III kind of like it's got the front like groin plate. And it's also got like heavier studs like you see in the Mark III, but it's definitely a Mark VI pattern. It's an interesting blend. Um, I do like, again, that they're going a little extra with the special characters to make them unique so they don't blend into the rest. Um, I don't know. I was kind of mentioning to Warwick earlier. I thought it was strange that they decided to paint him as a Sons of Horus guy considering that they've been doing a lot of, you know, split Imperial Fist Sons of Horus, I figured this guy would be a shoe-in for Imperial Fists. I mean, he's a siege breaker. They need to at least pretend to hide their massive boner for Imperial Fists every so often. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of one of those, everything's painted like Ultramarines in 40k. Everything's going to be Sons of Horus and Imperial Fists for 30k. But yeah, I was surprised he wasn't yellow. I was thinking that the reason why is they wanted to show off this traitor head that has like the Perturabo tubes coming out the nose and stuff. But yeah. if they're going to do that, they might as well just paint him as an iron warrior, but they can't do that. So I can talk a little bit about what he comes with. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's a, starts off as a centurion and he has the regular weapon skill five, ballistic skill five. He's got seven move, two wounds, I did find that the Centurions with having two wounds is a little bit risky. I, every time I play those, I think, gosh, I wish they had three because anything with brutal or, you know, gets it's doubles they, toughness. They, yeah. Anything doubles toughness, they're gone. So he does come with a Nuncio Vox and three Phosphex bombs. The Nuncio Vox, in case you forgot, while at least one model with a Nuncio Vox is present on the battlefield and not embarked in a vehicle or building. The controlling player may reroll any scatter rolls made, whether as part of a weapon attack or the deployment of a model or unit, as long as the model with a Nuncio Vox has line of sight to the unit targeted by the attack or the point chosen as the target of the deployment. 
In addition, a unit that includes at least one model with a Nuncio box ignores the negative one penalty to leadership imposed by night fighting. Now, this also goes with his uh, ability to give a unit Sunder. And Sunder is a fun rule. Let's see. I'm gonna, I'll read it. It here. lets you reroll failed armor penetration. Uh, against vehicles and buildings, uh, and you can and you can reroll glancing hits. So I thought a fun little exercise would be if we thought of an interesting way to use this model. And what do you think? How do you get the most mileage out of this? And I suppose you could do any lesion you wanted. I have a weird one, so I'm going to go last. What did you guys come up with? How, how do you think you would run this? So I've already got a couple of lists built with these with this guy. And I think that the first one that I did, I put him in uh, Cataphracty armor and I put him with my Fulmentaris Terminators and I was going to run them alongside uh, the Cerberus because if the Cerberus fails a armor pen, then it has the feedback rule where it can potentially damage itself. So letting the Cerberus re-roll reroll armor penetration is really advantageous there. The second one, and this is the one that I'm actually going to do, is part of my first Night Lord's terror assault list, the, the first one that I made, has the rapier gun batteries in it outfitted with the laser destroyers. And they don't have, they're strength nine, but they don't have sunder. So again, letting them reroll armor, uh, armor pen is super handy there. And you can also give him phosphex bombs, which, as Brandon said, is a great defensive tool. So uh, putting him as a, a like a, just a defensive bulwark against something that's probably going to get charged is a it's a, he's a great tool to have right there. Yeah, I mean the uh, the big appeal of this guy is giving Sunder to a friendly unit. It's kind of a workaround for a lot of the weaker heavy weapons to still be able to put a dent in tanks. Um, getting like auto cannons at strength seven and using that high volume of shots with a reroll just helps to guarantee those pens. So that can be really useful. I've been trying to play around with some ideas for it. Uh, another th unique thing with him is he comes inherently with Sunder himself. Uh, so you can kind of play with that in his war gear. Um, I mean, even just putting him with a a support squad with plasma guns and giving them sunder that's like a huge boost to their output uh melta guns they don't necessarily need it if you're in melta range but when you're out of melta range having that sunder reroll could be really helpful which seems to happen to me more often than not because melta guns have that short range to them um anything that's too low strength like the like regular bolt guns or that sort of thing. I don't know if they would necessarily benefit from it as much, but in a hot pinch, if you need to pop a, a rhino, you could use it and it would work. Yeah, I think anything using this on anything under strength seven is probably a waste of the points. It's got to be at least seven and above. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, like auto cannons, plasma guns. That's like your sweet spot because anything higher, you don't need it. Anything lower, it's not going to help. Even a heavy support squad with uh, missile launchers. Oh, yeah. Missile launchers would be a good option. Missile launchers are, like you said, the auto cannons, I think, is a great idea, too. Brandon? Uh, yeah, this guy has no place in any list that I would ever make. Um, I don't 
I don't think he's worth your time at all. I, I think that anything that ha- you want Sunder on probably already has it. Um, I wouldn't give Sunder to an auto cannon because I would never take an auto cannon because auto cannons are unless unless I'm playing Solar Ox, auto cannons are probably going to be not not worth my time. Um, and by the time you bring this guy with a squad of auto cannons, I could have just brought a squad of Laz cannons for the same price, probably less. Yeah, the way I see it is. I think there's very specific groups that'll use this. Like Imperial Fists would probably like this a lot. What's the strength on their rotary guns? See, I don't think they... I think their strength's six. Yeah. They're they're assault cannons. Um, I think Warwick, you have a very specific case where he'll be very useful to you. But other than that, like... No. No, I'm not using one of my three HQ slots that I have, which are already very precious to bring this guy. If I want to bring a Centurion for some heavy support action, I would rather bring an Armistice. Yeah, see that I agree with you there. The Armistice is such a a, a great choice to run. Uh yeah. why why would you take something else? Yeah. I will say this guy if I were to ever run him, which again I will not, would be one of the only ones I think it's actually worth bringing Phosphex bombs with. Uh, because most other units that get phosphex bombs already have a gun that I would rather be shooting. So I think that, that that's the one edge case for him. If he had bitter duty, I could say he'd make he would make sense in my Dark Angels. Does he get is he relentless? Uh I don't think so, unless you give him Terminator armor. He's just a he standard. Is re- he's he's base relent he's base relentless. So you could give him Where, the... Where's that rule? Where are you seeing that? I'm on... I'm using um, uh, Battle Scribe. Uh, one thing we also didn't mention real quick. He does have another additional side rule, which is he gives a lot of the like old Forge World artillery pieces and turrets um, additional options. So like Rapiers can take uh, Phosphex canisters... Um, Aquatur and Morbus Bombards can take Phosphex shells for additional points. Okay, so that's yeah. the that's the other reason to take him is you you build an artillery line, give them all Phosphex, and then he can give them Sunder. Yeah, Allegiance Centurion is base relentless. Okay. So oh, okay, that's why. Is relentless. Right. So uh, you could give him the um, what's the sniper rifle? Like the nemesis, the nemesis bolt. Yeah, then you could give him a nemesis bolter because it's a heavy one, isn't it? Yeah. Doesn't so, that have sunder? No, that doesn't have sunder. That has no. It's uh, got pinning and breaching. That's what it was. Yeah, I mean it. It's just you. Any any way you slice it, you'd be putting more points into this guy. Which I mean, Brandon, like he's, I've got a very niche reason for taking him. He works for me. Mm-hmm. I think putting him out there. Uh, or, or trying to fit him into any list isn't going to work for you. A lot of times, as we said, the Armistice is probably going to be a better fit, or the Moritat is going to be a better fit. Yeah, I get, he's Librarian. designed to be... If you think about it, you yeah. already have you have a Praetor, and you probably have a Librarian. At least I always do. I never, really never leave home without one. Which means I've got one HQ slot, and this guy just doesn't have what I need out of that one HQ slot. 
Yeah. Well, again, he's designed for a very specific type of play. Lots of artillery, a lot of long-range fire. He sits in the back and just kind of boosts, which none of us play that sort of army. We're all mid to close. Well, I, I thought about this question because I thought for like an Iron Warriors player that's getting your plus one strength on stuff, you're going to be running a bunch of maybe some Morbus Bombards or some Basilisks or all that artillery. That seems like a pretty no-brainer pick where you want all those blast markers to line up just so. And really, I think he's in an Iron Warriors army with a lot of artillery. This is this is going to be a really efficient use of points, although I've not played Iron Warrior, so I can't I say. I think that their Warsmith upgrade is better, though. What does what does he get? I think I think it just does that same thing, but better. Okay, I'll have to look it up specifically. One of the, one of the things you mentioned taking was the Derrideo with a uh, the Carronade on maximal fire. That's a blast weapon, and so you could get a little more use out of something like your Derrideo. But that's a lot of points to sit to sink in to just a heavy one shot. So I thought, well, what about his other ability to help out with your deep strike? So I thought about putting this in all places of like a White Scars army. If your White Scars are doing a drop pot assault, he's able to, if he can see the battlefield, he can help you line up those, your, your drops where you're, you're bringing people in. And the only thing I thought that I would put in that army that would make any sense was the I wanted to find something fast that could benefit from his ability to make your blast weapons better. The Primaris Lightning Strike Fighter can get Sun Fury missiles. And those are Strength 7, AP4, Blast. They could use the 3 inch blast. So that's about the only thing you would use that. And it's still AP4, and but it is breaching 4. You got to think is he going to be within 6 inches of your flyer? No. Uh, he's not giving the flyer Sunder, he's letting those blasts. Hit more oh, okay, gotcha. And especially on a three-inch blast, you want to make sure that that you know is going to pinpoint. You can put him on a jet bike and run him with the unit of the um, the jet bikes with plasma cannons, and it might be kind of fun because he'd give them sunder, and he'd be letting them, uh, like you said, uh, use their blast templates more efficiently. How hmm. is he? Uh, how is he helping your blast templates? Sorry. Uh, he lets you reroll any scatter dice. The, oh, he has a Nuncio Vox. Yeah, yeah he's got I'm already taken Nuncio Voxes on all my squads. So that's not a multiplier, I guess, to me. Yeah, I was well, I, again, we've established that he doesn't work with your army. <laughs> We're talking about how he would work for somebody else. Well, I think everybody army. should be taking lots of Nuncio <laughs> Voxes anyway, because the other benefit of it is that it gives you it foregoes the penalty to leadership in night fighting. It's a really good item. So, like, my tactical squads I load them out with because I don't need them running away during night fighting. That's just my thought on it. Um, Manipul, I was wrong. Uh, the Warsmith upgrade does not do anything what the Siegebreaker does. And if you take their Iron Fire right of war, you have to bring one of these guys. Uh, okay. So, there is potential that Iron Warriors will be using these guys. Mm -hmm. so, I, I tried yeah. to think... I tried to think of a way to get him into my Alpha Legion. I, I don't think I would bring him in the Alpha Legion unless I was, you know, went out and bought a, like three Vindicators and decided I'm going to have a, a Siege Breaker Alpha Legion list. But that just doesn't fit with that play style. But, but yeah, I mean, there, if you think about it, there's some ways you, you could use them. Mm -hmm. um, 
But like you, I think what Brandon said is the Nuncio box is so good, you should have one at least one in your army somewhere anyway. Yeah, and there's definitely a build for Sons of Horus that use these. It's not the one I'm running. So it'd be a pass for me, even if it is a good model. Oh, and we also didn't mention, uh, <laughs> there's been a lot of memes about the fact that he's using a Sigmarite hammer online. Oh, yeah. It is basically a carbon copy of the Sigmar Warhammer. They just changed, like... Uh, the little icon. So I thought that was a, uh, they barely fun. changed the little icon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's straight out age of Sigmar right now. That's, you know what? That's damn near Galmaraz. Yeah. So it was, uh, an interesting little thing that people have noticed. I wonder why they, uh, went with that. Probably because they already had the file pre-rendered. Yeah. And it was just like, we need a Warhammer, Just grab one. Yeah. I mean, Which I do like the fine. age of Sigmar hammers, Yeah. But yeah, it was just something that like it draws your eye. It's definitely very, worth the memes, very noticeable. but like not a big deal. <laughs> I, I yeah. like I like this one better. I can't remember the um there's like the Stormcast Eternals Siege Master. I can't remember what the exact model is, but there's the one with the big the big hammer that's got like a gyroscope inside of it. And I was like, that's so fucking corny. <laughs> uh yeah. it's so Age of Sigmar though. That is Sigmar. But, this this model I really like. I like the detail they got into the tactical iPad that he's using. The way that they painted it looks absolutely amazing. And then, uh, you know, even the details on even the helmeted head. I've always wanted a beaky helmet with the cybernetic eye. So this there's a lot going on here that I like. I'm definitely going to end up picking up this model. Would you just run him as a centurion or a, or a praetor? And just keep the model with some... How would you change the model to make it look more like a regular Praetor. Um, there are better Praetor models already, though. So why would I run him as a Praetor? I like him as a Centurion, and I've got a place for him, like I said, in, in both my armies. So I think if I was going to grab this guy in, in, with intents to run him, I think I'd probably kitbash some more Mark, more Mark III stuff onto him. He just doesn't quite look as heavy as I personally want him to be with being a Siege Breaker. Yeah, I know this is going to be a, a resin model, so I'm wondering exactly how they cut him up, because um, that'll determine a lot of how you can mod him. Yeah, I would hope you could do shoulder pads, potentially backpack, and a head, and I really think that would be about what you need. Yeah, I agree. With I think some uh, Mark III shoulder pads on that would do the trick, and a helmet with a big grill on it. Oh man, how cool would a Mark II helmet look on that guy? Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. That'd look really dope. I wonder if I can put the kind of fleshy-skinned cape for, like, a Night Lord's guy on him. I'll have to see if I can figure that out. That'd look cool. Drill the pins into his head like Hellraiser. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Nice try. Okay, well, an in interesting model. If uh, any of you out there in Internet land have an idea how you're going to run this guy, let us know curious to see well moving along here brandon you had a big trip a couple weeks ago do you want to fill us in on how lvo went for you yeah i did and it was really cool so i know you guys here have all gone to conventions in the past but this was kind of my first big convention and it was awesome I was really blown away by the size of everything. The 40K hall 
I've never seen anything like that. Like that was, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people playing 40 K they've got games blown up on big screens. They've got commentators commentating on the games. They're doing the same thing for Age of Sigmar. Um, I, I was there to play middle earth um, because again, I felt that, that was the army I could confidently transport. Um, I played, four great games and then one that was not so great um i don't really want to get into to that necessarily on air but uh you know i uh i enjoyed my time and just walking around the convention too was really really interesting so i was able to visit a lot of the booths uh you know games workshop themselves had a pretty big presence there I didn't spend that much time there because I was like, if I wanted to buy models at full price, I could do that anywhere. So I stopped in. I had a friend who asked me to get the special convention model for him. So I did that. And then uh, really just checked out a lot of, you know, there was a lot of like small, smaller indie games. I got to talk to, I got to talk to a couple of the reps from Warlord Games who do a lot of the historical games like Bolt Action uh, Black Seas, stuff like that. Really cool group of guys kind of just talking about their their run. They were there running their World War II fighter plane game, which looked really interesting. And then a lot of hobby tools and such that, that were there to demo. So I got demos of Duncan Rhodes's Two Thin Coats paint. I got a couple of demos for some small, like indie style games. Um, I spent a lot of times with the Monument Hobby, uh, the Monument Hobby guys who do the Pro Acryl line, um, as well as I got to talk to some. There were some folks there selling RPGs, so got to talk to some of them a bit as well. Um, anything in particular you guys are interested in for me to start off with? Um, how much was it a ticket? Was it expensive to get in? Um, so it ended up all told being about, I think for me it was 115 or something like that. It was something, and half of that was my tournament. Um, so it was about $60 to go to, uh, the Middle Earth tournament. And then the convention badge itself was about 55 um, and that just got you into the door that obviously didn't get you into any of the games. But if you were just there to shop or just check out stuff and just hang out, uh, that's what, what the convention badge did for you. And would you describe the OVO as even somewhat family friendly? Like I stopped going to Gen Con a few years ago because it was full of so much, for lack of a better word, degeneracy. I mean, stuff that I wouldn't even expect people to, to be I mean, the stuff they were wearing or the slogans that they were holding up and some of that sort of stuff, which is so objectionable and I'm not really a prude, but it was just so weird. I, I don't feel like I have a place there anymore. What was LVO like as far as the atmosphere? You know, I really didn't see any of that. I know there were some guys who brought their wives there and stuff like that. Um, I think, you know, based on my understanding of some of the other cons, LVO is much more focused on the Warhammer hobby. Now, I know they did a cosplay thing, uh, but there wasn't really, like, that much of that. 
running around. Um, so and that's kind of where I've seen like the outfits that skirt the line. I did see like a couple of dudes walking around without their shirts on. Um, they were also drunker than a skunk. So that's kind of thing, you know. Well, that that's is, different. That is what it is. So, so you would, so, so you would say like you could take your wife or girlfriend to this, this thing maybe, and she wouldn't be offended. So well, it sounds you like, know what? it sounds like it's pretty chill. It, it was, act, it's actually an interesting thing that I was thinking about with this. And I actually think you could, uh, you know, my wife has zero interest in war gaming. You know, she views it as like, this is your hobby. Do your thing. I'm glad you enjoy that. I'm not interested, which is fine. The thing about LVO, which I think has it has going for it compared to other conventions, is you can bring your wife or girlfriend. They can walk around the convention. If they're not interested in anything there, there's also Las Vegas. So you can still do all the things that Las Vegas offers outside of a convention. So I remember the first couple of years I went to Gen Con, I went with the the hobby crew that I was a part of from my hometown and a couple of guys there would bring their wives as well. And they actually had Gen Con had specific events for wives that weren't into the hobby and they could go to like an, an arts and crafts show that, you know, got them away from the board games and the nerd stuff all at the same time. And they had a lot of fun doing it. So I think a lot of those events are to a point now where they have something for everyone so that, you know, the spouses don't feel bored out of their minds being beat over the head with stuff they're not interested in. Yeah. I didn't see anything specifically like that. And I might've just missed it again. This place was huge. I I was really blown away with how, how big it it was. Um, Particularly I sent you, I believe I sent you guys the picture of the true scale Terminator in the lobby of the convention, which was pretty freaking metal. Again, if you brought your wife and she's not into it, just go do anything in Las Vegas. You know, the the world would be her oyster at that point. So you said you had four good games. Did you place in the tournament? Did you win a prize or something? No, I did not place. Um, I I ended up going two and three in my tournament. Uh, excellent opponents. Uh, had some dice just not go my way in a couple of games. Um, and... Really, I spent a lot of time preparing uh, to play things that I thought I would see at that tournament, and they, I didn't run into them. Um, so for those of you familiar with Middle Earth, one of the really big popular quote-unquote meta events is, our uh, meta list is called uh, the, the Dragon Emperor, and there was only one in this tournament of 40 people. So I spent a lot of time with uh, with Paul playing his dragon emperor to get ready for it. Never saw it. Um, I saw a bunch of dwarves, which I was not prepared for at all. (laughs) Um, and so they're just, like I said, things didn't go my way and that's okay. Did you, so did you have to, was your list set in stone or were you able to be flexible with it? Could you change it up at all? How'd that work out? Um, well, I couldn't obviously change it once the event had started. There was some not great communication, apparently, between the tournament coordinator and Frontline Gaming, who puts on LVO, about getting the email list out. So there was a lot of miscommunication about when lists would be due to be quote-unquote locked in. 
Um, so I know a lot of folks that didn't even lock in their list until the day they arrived, you know, ready for round one, which do I think it gives a bit of an unfair advantage? Maybe. Also, I, I don't really think anybody's truly changing based on what they see. Well, and especially with like the Middle Earth community, they're not really known for being the power gamers. So I, I don't think that's really a, a major concern there. If it was Sigmar or 40K, I could definitely see some shenanigans being called in that regard. Well, and you can definitely tell that that's what Frontline is interested in. Those are the cash cows. The Sigmar tournament and the 40K tournament were absolutely massive. 40K had its own entire hall just to itself. But the convention ran from Friday. They, it started Thursday night with the reveal show. I didn't go to it because they live streamed the show at the same time. And also... You know, with how my flight landed, I wasn't, I would have had to cut it real close to get there in time. And I was like, I can just see. I was like, if they do a heresy announcement, I probably, it was, I was already like, it's going to be Solar Auxilia, which it was. So that was the only thing I was really interested in them announcing. And I already knew what it was going to be. So it didn't feel the desire to go to that on Thursday night. Friday, um, my tournament hadn't started. That was just the 40K and the Sigmar stuff going. So I walked around the convention a bit. Um, I also, because I was in Las Vegas, I went and I did several laps around a racetrack with a Ferrari, which was super fun. So walking around the convention, checking out the stands, like I said, talking to some of those game reps. I bought some RPG stuff. I bought some paint stuff. Um, really getting to talk to a lot of these folks who work for these companies that, you know, you really only have interact with online. It was really refreshing to kind of put some faces behind a lot of these companies. You see that these are a lot of passionate people who love games just as much as we do. Um, And that was just really refreshing and enjoyable to kind of just sit there and nerd out with the dudes from two thin coats or uh, from monument. Oh yeah, um, speaking of that, I know we talked about it briefly, but we've talked about like Pro Acryl and Scale 75, but I don't think any of us have used Duncan Rhodes' official paints. Have you guys? Yeah, do so you want to talk about that? You said you did that workshop? Yeah, well, it wasn't a workshop. They just had uh, they had a table set up in the main hallway um, of, of the convention where you could just sit down and paint and talk to those guys about the paints. I actually saw Duncan there but he was surrounded by people. So I didn't really get a chance to actually talk to him. But uh, one of the things that I have really, I've been moving away from Citadel paints. You guys know this, Um, not because I think that they're not quality paints. I actually think they are. Um, But because there's, they're not doing a good job of keeping their shelves stocked. So, but one of the biggest hangups I've had is I've never found another paint line that does reds, yellows, and oranges the way Citadel does. And I really love that specific color range for them. So I've been, and I've tried a lot of different ones and I just haven't quite hit it for me. Well, two thin coats kind of did and didn't color match the Citadel paints, but put them in dropper bottles and make them flow a bit better. And you know what? If it works, it works. And it worked. I actually really enjoyed their paint line. Uh, 
I specifically did try the Reds. I think I will be picking some of those up uh, once my Citadel Reds start to run low. Um, but they're a really nice group of guys. They loved just sitting there talking about, you know, what are you working on? Um, what techniques have you been trying? What's working for you? What's not working for you? Here's a little tip for you. It was awesome. Um, just sit there and kind of nerd out with some guys about painting, um, which is a part of the hobby that over the past year or two, I've really grown more in my passion for. So getting to try that, um, was really cool. And I will definitely be picking up some of their paints in the future. The, the other major paint experience I had, AK Interactive was there, which I've heard amazing things about their paints. I do use their oil products. Um, I didn't get the chance to sit down and actually try their paints. Um, I just didn't have the time. I did get to talk to the guys from Monument Hobbies who make Pro Acryl, which has become my favorite paint line by far. And they actually, let me see if I got it here. They sold me on this new product they have called Noosh, which is an acrylic, uh, an acrylic medium. And what this does is you mix it with one of your acrylic paints and it makes your acrylic paints behave like oils. So you can slather them on and then pull them off, but it's all water soluble and it cures significantly faster than oil paint. So it was really, really cool. And I got a live demo of it. They actually used a Battletech mini on there, on there for me and did an entire oil wash on this thing. But you don't have to mess around with the toxic oil paints, the spirits. Uh, oil paint is great, but it's very messy. Um, so I'm really excited to try this out. And also, since it's just a medium, you can mix those with any color. So, and you can also mix colors in it. So the, like what he did for me is he used their dark umber paint along with a little bit of, uh, dark blue. Cause that's the color wash he wanted to have for the sky blue, um, uh, Battletech mini that he was painting. But I already have thoughts in my mind of using that dark umber and then a little bit of black to really bring that down and get that gritty look for my dark angels or something like that. So I'm going to try this out, but I think that's a big benefit of going to these conventions is you can see live some product that I'd never even heard of this before. And you could, they could say, Oh, it does this. And rather than see it on a YouTube video or something like that, you could watch them do it as they explain how it works to you live. And that, that's what sold me on the spot on this stuff. I was like, give it to me right now. Um, so yeah, yeah when I, cool. when I've done those, um, painting demos or classes at conventions, I've always enjoyed it. I did one where I learned how to work with green stuff. I did another one that was focused just on doing highlights and blending. And I still use that, those techniques. And then, you know, when, when I'm in the, when I'm in the class, I remember this one in particular where I'm learning the green stuff and I'm looking at this guy's work and I'm like, man, it looks really familiar. And I realized that he's in, he was in white dwarf all the time through like the early two thousands. And I thought, Oh yeah, I know exactly who this guy is. Cause I finally put it together once I'd been working with him for a little while. It's like this dude wins golden demons and, and here he is teaching a class. So 
take advantage of those if you get a chance to learn from a pro. Yeah, I had the opportunity to sign up for a couple of hobby classes because, like I said, I didn't have anything on Friday. Um, My tournament was Saturday, Sunday. And I decided not to do it because I wanted to just be able to walk around. I actually had planned on like going out a bit in Vegas, but I was so enamored by the convention that I ended up hanging out there most of the day. Plus I got to catch up with uh, some folks from the middle earth community from Arizona who I've had met several months ago at a tournament here. So it was nice to catch up with those guys and all of that. Um, It's really cool to just, I I, am also kind of sad that I didn't do any of those hobby classes because I feel like I could have picked up some really cool skills. Even just this, the small painting demos sitting there working with these guys who are professional painters as they're just showing me. They're like, oh, it would be actually be easier if you just do it this way real quick. And I picked up a new skill just like that. Or in this case, they have a product. I love the I love working with oil paints. And they're like, well, you know, if you want oil paint without the mess, we've got that for you now. So really cool uh thing like that i also got to try a demo of a couple of one well one in particular small skirmish game um you know paul you and i are kind of in a skirmish game kind of setting of just it's a little easier sometimes to just throw down a skirmish game rather than get out three thousand points of heresy um ended up not being for me but uh it's great because they run that run that demo and now i know hey this is actually something i don't want to invest in and just looking at the models i would have been interested but in playing the actual game now i know i'm not well the amount of times i've dropped you know 100 to 200 dollars on a game just to never play it (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think i did that the last one i did was conquest about the starter and a bunch of stuff and uh yeah, it just sat in the shelf because I was like, oh, yeah, I read the, the rules. The fantasy and rank and flank game? Yeah. They're there. They were there. Yeah. I almost Great models. And I was just like, oh, I'm, I don't know why I bought this. I was not super into the rules. <laughs> yeah. And but. then some of, the, uh, some of the demos were also not so great. Like there was this one called Blood Throne that uh, they, I mean, they had just marketing materials everywhere for this thing and they're like dead center as soon as you walk in they bought that spot so i'm like wow what is this and this guy's just sitting there on his phone and i'm like hey man i've seen the marketing materials all over the place all right you got me interested what the hell's go what what's the deal here and he's like it's a competitive like rpg slash dungeon crawler type thing i was like okay you got any more than that like you know, I was like, well, the models look really cool. He goes, oh, yeah, they're all creature caster models. And I was like, thanks, bye. Like, clearly you weren't interested in selling your game at all. Yeah, that's crazy because so many times when I've gone to those, if you have the right person behind the counter, they'll make a sale. Because I've got money. Like, I've already set aside all the money I'm going to spend today. And if you make me a good pitch, yeah, I'll buy your book. Sure, you know, I'll support these people. But I've had that too, where they just kind of stare at you and you're just not interested. I, I don't get it. Well, it was just kind of mind boggling to me that, I mean, you could tell these guys shelled out some cash at display these because they had, I, I didn't see advertising for anything on the level that I saw for this blood throne thing. And again, as soon as you walked into the convention, that Terminator, they were right behind it. 
So the first thing you hit when you walk in was their booth. And they just, dude, sitting back there on his phone, doesn't care to be there. I'm like, I wonder if your boss, who clearly shelled out a shitload of money to be here, is walking around right now. (laughs) Well, it sounds like LVO is an absolute blast for you, dude. I'm happy you got to go experience that. Yeah, um, it was really great. Um, Kind of, uh, I guess I'll just make this announcement now. Kind of my last real chance to travel um, for the foreseeable future, particularly for, for gaming purposes, because I am welcoming my second baby in March. And so with that growing family, uh, it just makes it a lot harder to be able to hit the road for games. Um, so kind of my last hurrah on that front. And so I'll be keeping it a lot more local from now on. Well, you can always hit me up for some uh, Sons of Horus or some Dragon Emperor games. Always fun. I'm going to beat that Dragon Emperor one day. (laughs) Hopefully we'll be able to make it down there this summer sometime. We'll figure it out. But um, I've got one more thing for us tonight. Are you guys ready for this? We got a Vox mail from a new fan. Oh, boy. So... Remarks from a fan from a fan from Eli. Yo, big fan of the podcast. 10 out of 10 would podcast again. Calm down. I love 40k and horse heresy. I'm relatively new to the hobby. I got into the lore two years ago and started painting and playing for nine-ish months. I play Grey Knights for 40k and Ogre Maws for AOS based in Drool But your podcast really has been great. Thank you very much. We really appreciate that. I started the for the ah, sorry. I started for the book reviews summaries and stayed for the book reviews and summaries and for the hobby roundtables. All this to say, if any of you quit, I will chase you down to the edge of the earth and politely ask you to continue. Okay. Well, I, I don't think we have plans to quit anytime soon, but we still got a lot there. of books to read. We understand. Uh. Are you guys Catholic? You kind of mentioned in a few episodes, specifically the one where you reviewed The Last Church, which, as a side, your review is the most base take I have seen online. Thanks. The reason I ask is... Sorry. The reason I ask is because I'm converting to Catholicism, and I find it really cool that there is a podcast out there that is both Warhammer and Christian in a sense. I am now realizing that if you aren't Catholic, this is really awkward. Anyway, keep up the good work. A member, <laughs> and remember to march in fortune. Your loyal follower, Mr. Very Berry. Well, Eli, yeah, I'm Catholic. I'm super Catholic. And while this is not a faith-based podcast, I think it's, you know, since you asked, I, we can talk a little bit about that, don't you guys think? Uh, yeah, so I suppose this this could be a re- reveal for me too. Uh, my my day job is actually a Catholic priest, and um, I've always been a big fan of the Warhammer lore because it has some and and Tolkien and other things that we've talked about on the podcast because I like the 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 play between dark and light, good and evil, you know, redemption, forgiveness, betrayal, all those things are very kind of deep-seated human values that you don't have to be a, a Christian or a Catholic to understand those things, but they um, certainly sp- speak to me on a, on a very visceral level that I, I can very much get into. So um, I don't know how much we want to get into faith in a, in a, in a podcast, but it's certainly probably going to color at least my opinions on, 
on certain things. So good pickup there. Yeah, I guess the jig is up, huh? Uh, well, I while I am not Catholic, I am a filthy Protestant. But uh, yeah, it definitely colors my view of these things as well. Well, I don't, don't worry, guys. I've uh, come here to bring down the mood. I am not religious. So, you know, I'm here to bring balance. <laughs> Three against one. <laughs> no, Eli, we'll, thanks for the email. We'll we really appreciate it. We'll work it, it on, Paul. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get him in there sometime. We, we really appreciate the email, Eli, and I hope you're doing well. Thanks for listening to us, and thanks for all the support. Um. Don't be shy about your journey in faith because you can be a nerd and a Christian at the same time. Tolkien did it. We can do it too. All right. Thanks guys. Good talking with you once again. Interesting insights. Yeah, always fun. Why don't you guys go ahead and check us out on social media. We are LegionCast, a Horus Heresy podcast on Twitter and LegionCast18 at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with us, we really enjoy hearing from you guys. Don't forget to share this podcast out there. And give us a rating and comment. Yep. Thanks for stopping by, everybody. And remember to march in fortune. Mm-hmm.